With me today is Brooke Arnold. Brooke is a writer, a filmmaker, a professor, and former member of the IBLP cult. Most recently, uh, Brooke was featured in the Shiny Happy People documentary, Prime Video's number one documentary series on the Duggar family and the IBLP cult. Uh, Brooke, thank you so much for joining me and congratulations on the massive success of Shiny <laughs> Happy People. It's just so exciting as, as another former member you know, seeing this stuff come to light finally uh, is is just so validating and gratifying. Um, so so thank you for for everything that you've done to get the word out there. Um, just really appreciate it. Um, what was it What was it like for you, Brooke? Just kind of reliving your experiences in the IBLP cult uh, during this documentary. What was that? How was that? Um, well, I feel like, uh, I've, I've, like I, I've been on the Bill Gothard beat for quite a while. I started and uh, started speaking out about it in 2015. Mm -hmm. I think at that point in my life, I had been out for about 15-ish years, 10, 15-ish years. And I had just completely pushed it out of my mm -hmm. mind, out of my life. Like my closest friends didn't know about it. It was just was not something that I talked about or thought about every six months, I would Google Bill Gothard uh, to see if he were still alive, you know, and yeah. put my hand up on the screen to cover his face. So I wouldn't have to see his face, <laughs> you know, while I was doing it. Um, but I just kind of completely was like, I, I got to go on with my life. You know, I don't want right. to, I don't want to pick this rabbit hornet's nest, I think is what I said in the, in the film. Um, but that was a long process. So I guess I started in 2015, I published an article for Salon called, which the editors really embarrassingly named, I could have been a Duggar wife. <laughs> and <laughs> Yeah. That's very clickbaity. Okay. I get it. It's very clickbaity, right? Yeah, you know? Yeah. And of course, like the top comment was like, you're not good looking enough to be a Duggar wife. And I was oh, just rude. like, ouch, people. <laughs> Boo. The trolls, the trolls will, they'll get you every time. <laughs> oh, they, they, they definitely do. Um, but uh, so after I published that, I got in touch with um, an Emmy award-winning editor and she was interested. She had worked on 19 Kids and Counting. And so she mm. was interested in doing like, she called it the anti-19 Kids. Oh, interesting. Okay. So, so like, this was her idea for the initial, uh, yeah, kind of like a, right. An expose on it. And then we started working on that together and eventually it kind of evolved into this idea of we, we were going to do a six episode docu-series called American Gothard. Mm. And in the process of that is when I process of working on that and researching for that is kind of when I really started to feel like I was getting pulled back in mm. um you know the teachings you forget about them for a long time but they're deeply embedded in your body and they're deeply yeah. embedded in your spirit and they're deeply embedded in your soul and almost pulling back that curtain even like just a little bit uh you know created this huge avalanche within my life you know it, mm. it kind of like started to feel like I was still in IBLP or I had gotten my 30 something year old self had gotten picked up and plucked, plucked back in. Mm. And, you know, I think there's a lot of ways in which like the online spaces for people who've left really kind of a lot of people end up playing the same roles there that they played within the cult. And so it's kind of like, it's still the cult, but just without Bill Gothard, right. you know, sometimes. Yeah. yeah. 
And and that all started to feel, you know, very overwhelming. I think that there's a real darkness here. You know, something, whatever happened with IBLP, it was incredibly dark and incredibly wrong. And I think, you know, reimmersing myself in, in that world uh, had a huge negative impact on my mental health for a very long time to the point that in 2020, I decided, fuck this, mm. no more. I'm, I'm you know, I'm, not, I'm giving up on this project. I'm not going to keep investigating. I'm just going to forget about this entirely because it's just not good for me. It's just not what I need in my life right now. Mm. And then in 2022, I was just kind of sitting in my backyard next to a, I had a fire going. I was drinking a Tito's and soda. I was listening. I was doing a, I was doing a dark side of the moon sing along with tears streaming down my face, you know, just, <laughs> peak peak feeling sorry for myself (laughs) 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 and i got a a facebook message from a woman she said hi brooke my name is Corey shepherd stern i'm an uh, oscar nominated film producer and we're making a movie about bill gothard and we want you in it and i was just like hell no (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, just, I, I, I I told you I was a little tipsy when this happened so I think the first text I wrote her back was actually kind of mean I feel embarrassed about it where I was just like well I was doing this for five years and nobody wanted mine congratulations on your Oscar nomination you know Mary. <laughs> <laughs> instant victim yeah sure instant victim absolutely you know um but she was just she kind of you know we started talking and she sort of, you know very much wanted me to be involved and i really felt like despite the damage it had done to me in the past being involved with it that it was just too important to mm. to not it is too important not to be a part of it. Um, and I felt like having done like five years of research on IBLP and Bill Gothard, like, I don't know, embarrassingly enough, if there's anybody who knows as much about it as I do. I don't know that I'm particularly proud of that area of expertise, but it does exist. Um, and I just felt like this obligation, knowing what that, knowing what I know to step forward and to offer that as a part mm. of this. Absolutely. And and I know like you're the role that you played in, in this documentary. I, I mean, it was very, very clear that you were the expert. Mm-hmm. Um, you had all the info. And so all those years worth of research, even though, you know, it didn't culminate in, in the documentary that you wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, it certainly was a, a huge help, I'm sure, uh, for the producers, the directors, and, and even the other people that were in the film, uh, mm-hmm. just the support that you were able to offer there. Um, and, and I mean, I, I think it shows in how successful the documentary has been. It's just, it's, it's, it's mind blowing. Number one documentary series on, on prime video ever. Uh, I can't even tell you how many rooms I went into and pitched this idea. And when it's so close to home, when it's part of your experience, you don't feel like you're pitching a movie idea. You feel like you're pitching yourself, (laughs) you know, and doors would slam and they would say, no one will watch this. No one will be interested. No one will understand. This is too weird. This is too dark, you know, over and over and over. And it feels very validating to realize that I was right. There is, there is, there was something here and this was something that will resonate with people. It's resonated way beyond anything I ever could have imagined, Mm. but it's still, you know, I don't know. 
it's it's overwhelming for me uh, it is overwhelming i think that's why i'm a little bit at loss of words sometimes it's been very yeah. overwhelming because just you know just the the podcast series that i've been doing the the response and the outreach uh that i've received has uh has been overwhelmingly positive and, and i'm so grateful for it but but at the same time it um um you, you just feel lost uh, mm -hmm. a, a lot of times. So on this much larger scale with prime video, I'm, I'm sure, you know, the letters, the emails, the DMS that you've been receiving, uh, have been a lot. Mm -hmm. And it's been really interesting. I think, you know, the most powerful part about it is how much, how many people saw themselves in it. I think mm -hmm. that when I first did this back in 2015, uh, when I could have been a Duggar wife came out, I definitely got a lot of messages, you know, from people who were like, I was in solitary confinement at ITC. I went to Russia. You know, I got a lot of messages from people who were involved and telling their stories was was one of the things that inspired me to do this and want to make a project about it was because I realized I had spent all this time feeling sorry for myself. And then when I heard other people's stories, I realized so many, almost everyone had it so much worse than I did. And I wanted people to know about that. And so I feel like, you know, getting these out here for the first, getting these stories out there. And then the reaction is from so many people like yourself, I recognize myself in this. This is resonating with me and it's not just ex-iblp people i think it's a lot of people who grew up within the christian homeschool movement mm -hmm. the evangelical movement um i think that this is a reckoning and almost like a a public liberation it, it's really exciting yeah it's, it's so interesting that you say that because i, I agree I, th I think it's the the conservative christian homeschool crowd uh mm -hmm. is is really identifying with even if they you know weren't in iblp but but even you know scientologists i've had scientologists reach out to me and say this is this is so familiar uh fundamental mormons reaching out uh it, you know it's uh, very fundamental catholics even i mean it's just it's across the board uh mm -hmm. that people identify with these types of extremist upbringings uh, mm -hmm. and how damaging it can really be um, so yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. It, it's just such an important message, uh, to have out there. And, and I think that's, you know, why you're getting the response that you are is because people need to hear this stuff. People really do need to hear this stuff. What, it, you know, one of the things in the documentary that, you know, I was disappointed that, uh, you know, we didn't dive into, or they didn't dive into more, uh, was your experience, uh, confronting Bill Gothard, because how many years did you spend with Bill Gothard while you were still in the cult? as part of his oh i didn't people. i didn't spend any years with him i never met him i grew up you know it at an i at an iblp church going to the seminars um doing the children's institutes all of that stuff but i had you know i was very much on the outer rim i hadn't met him personally i got you okay um but you know growing up in isolation with his teachings yeah, yeah. he'd come to really loom you know super large mythologically over my mind you know like a as if you know if every time i thought of god you know there was kind of like this avatar of bill gothard standing in for him mm. you know like kind of being unable to separate those two categories in my mind right and so when I was working on my doc, we went to Chicago for um, a hearing. There was supposed to be a hearing related to the, uh, the lawsuit against IBLP. Um, but we were already in Chicago and it got canceled. 
And it just so happened that John Cornish was in town that day for the hearing also. And so he sent me a Facebook message and was like, hey, let's get lunch. And so me and my producer uh, went out for Mexican food with John and he gave me Bill Gothard's phone number. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Wow. And I said, my producer was sitting next to me and she said, I think it would uh, be really cool if we called him. And then we just like rolled up at his house this afternoon. And I was just terrified. I was like, hell no, there's no way I'm doing that. And John Cornish was like, you got to do that. you got to go. <laughs> the peer pressure from John Cornish. I love it. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so I called him on the I called him on the phone and uh, just to make sure that John still had the right number, because yeah. I, I didn't know um, if it would actually be him you know but he answered with that strange lilting elfish voice that he Mm -hmm. has you know Mm -hmm. and I thought what could I say to it's definitely him I know it's him now I just need to get him off the phone what can I say to get him off the phone really quick and so I said uh excuse me sir are you registered as a democrat (laughs) (laughs) he just hung up immediately no, he screamed at me for about 10 minutes. <laughs> he was just like, oh, I don't know how anyone could ever be a Democrat at this day and age. And um, he's a lot older now than I think he was like when you met him, because he has yeah. that kind of dodgy old, me- you know, old man screaming at the clouds vibe going now, <laughs> you know. That's so funny. Uh, he doesn't yeah. have like huge stadiums <laughs> to play for anymore, but like right. you give him any kind, you give him any kind of audience, and yeah. he just you know starts starts in. He's the uh, he's the crazy old guy on Facebook now, <laughs> right? <laughs> Literally. So uh, I called him back a few minutes later, and then asked if I told him you know just the truth that I had grown up in the program. I had, ne- and he said, "Well, how lucky for you." Uh, your dad is a very wise man. Um, <laughs> and I said I had never met him and I just would like to meet him. Could I come over? And he said, yes, um, if I was with someone else. And my producer um, came with me. Excuse <laughs> me, sorry. Sorry, coffee. Um, <laughs> so she actually, uh, they actually interviewed her for Shiny Happy People. And I think originally had a much more in-depth version of the story included in the film. Mm. But for time constraints, it kind of got got kind of swept aside. Sure. So when when you went and, and met him then, uh, you know, and, and you kind of explained in the in the documentary that you, you kind of felt yourself getting pulled in and then just left. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so can, can you, can you give me any, any additional detail about what that meeting was like? Oh, well, it was, you know, he still lives in the house that he was born in. So he's lived mm-hmm. in that house for 90 years and the house has this very kind of mausoleum feel, you know, you walk in and you feel like you're, you know, walking into a museum from a previous time and, I think the thing that really got me that day was we were sitting there talking and I was talking to Mr. Gothard, Mm -hmm. you know, the man, the myth, the legend. (laughs) And I looked down, he was wearing a full suit and I looked down and he had like a little, a little bit of coffee stain on his tie. And 
I just, in that second thought, you know, why would God ever spill coffee on his tie? <laughs> and there was just that moment in which it all, all of my imagination that was wrapped up in him kind of just instantly unraveled. And I realized this is a man. Yeah. This is a person. There's nothing different between this person and any other person. And this I, this person's ideas aren't any more important or real than anyone else's ideas. And seeing him in the flesh as a human being for the first time, I think, drastically changed the hold that he had come to have over me mm. first from growing up around this stuff or in this stuff. And then as an adult kind of reimmersing myself in that world through that research, you know, he got his tentacles kind of in mm -hmm. even deeper. Mm -hmm. And that experience of seeing him as a actual, just as a flawed human being who can spill, spill coffee on their clothes, uh, you know, it was kind of like that moment where in the Wizard of Oz where Dorothy pulls back the curtain and, you know, she sees the wizard behind with a little switch, you know, he's standing there behind the curtain with the switches, you know? Right, right, yeah. It was kind of like that moment. This is just a person. They don't need to have any power over me anymore. Wow. I mean, what a what an incredibly profound revelation in that moment just from seeing a coffee stain, right? Um, <laughs> incredible. That, that, that's incredible. And, and, and what was the what was the conversation like that, that y'all had? Um, well, it was kind of very, you know, it was very stilted and kind of polite, you know, I don't think he hears very well at this point. So you have to speak, you know, incredibly mm -hmm. loud. Um, he asked me questions. Um, he the first question that he asked me when I sat down, um, was my spiritual gift. Of course. Um, teacher mercy. Okay. All right. Okay. I was about, <laughs> I was going to guess profit, but I guess. Oh yeah. Yeah. I think I, you know, maybe I'm a, maybe I'm a, I was going to say like a teacher in the sheets, prophet in the, I know, teacher <laughs> in the streets, prophet, like, I feel like I'm probably a prophet, but I don't want to admit it. That's what I'm trying to say. Okay, I got you, I got you. <laughs> um, <laughs> so he asked me, my, I told him my spiritual gift, and then he said, you're a second born, aren't you? And I said, yes. And he said, I can tell, you know, you're very eager to please and ambitious. I, and then he kind of just started bragging about how good he is at telling people's birth order. And so he told me that when he was younger, he could go through a McDonald's drive through and tell the person who was handing him his fries, you're a third born. <laughs> just from kind of flex. <laughs> and i had actually kind of forgotten about that weird birth order stuff oh. from from his teachings but it's weird to see you know so much of his own teachings seem to have calcified in his brain mm. even though he's not in any way publicly teaching them anymore it's still the way in which he approaches every conversation and interaction in the world even though he's not getting the same kind of narcissistic supply for saying it that he used to Right. Yeah. He doesn't have thousands, millions of people attending his seminars, listening to mm -hmm. the shrivel. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you, you know, he, he guesses your birth order, probably talks about himself a bunch. Did, did y'all ever get to a point where you could share with him how, how damaging uh, it was for you growing up 
in, in this cult that he created? No, in fact, that I didn't need that wasn't something that I even attempted at that point. Mm. At this point, what I kind of the idea in my mind was that since we were working on this project, I very much wanted to have like a Frost versus Nixon, Brooke versus Bill moment, mm. you know, there at the end where you interview him on camera. And so I think at that point, I was just trying to create a connection and a rapport and a familiarity so that I could stay in contact with him and hopefully coax him into eventually like doing an on-camera interview with me mm. that I think would probably been a little bit more um, confrontational. It is kind of tricky, though, with Bill because he's so old at this point, you know, that after meeting him in person, I kind of rethought that idea because I thought it's just going to look like elder abuse on camera. People yep. aren't going to see the huge wake of damage that he left right. behind him. People are going to see an old man being bullied on right. camera. Yeah, that, 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 that's exactly what I was thinking. It would have to, it would have to be a very delicate approach, mm -hmm. right? Otherwise, yeah, people aren't going to feel bad for, you know, these millions of victims uh, that were part mm -hmm. of the cult, they're just going to end up mm -hmm. feeling bad for this frail old man. Right. Mm -hmm. um, have, have you, have you talked to him uh, since the, the documentary aired? No, I haven't. The last time I spoke to him was on the phone, I think in 2019, I haven't spoken to him in several, in several years. Mm. Is, is, is I do know. I do know. One of my docu siblings prank called him a few weeks ago. Really? <laughs> like, yeah, like the. I think the weekend that it came out. I don't want to. I don't want to out anybody, but I definitely sure. know. I definitely do know one person at least prank called him, and there were some kind of fake reporters like who ambushed him in his driveway a couple of days ago, mm. um, asking him if he'd seen it. Um, I don't know if Bill, if Bill seen it, he does have a TV in his house. So he's breaking his own rules. Wow. So it's possible he could have watched it on that. He did. He did make a threatening po post on Twitter a few days ago mm -hmm. in which basically said that he was calling down God's wrath mm -hmm. to activate arrows against all of us. Yes. I saw that. That was a, uh, what was it like a four, a four bullet tweet, which I was, <laughs> I was surprised by. Usually those are going to be three bullets or seven bullets. Uh, that's it's always a seven point plan with, with Gothard, right? Um, didn't he have to pay Elon to get those extra characters? I think he did actually, because he is a, he is a, uh, Twitter blue account. Oh, uh, but I also, so from what I understand, there's, um, there's a guy that's been, like kind of his right hand dude for many years now that moderates his Facebook, moderates his mm -hmm. Twitter, and kind of handles all the postings based mm -hmm. on based on yeah. what I've heard. Bill Gothard doesn't know how to use the computer. Um, I think that's that's just a true fact. That's yeah. not that's not yeah, yeah that's not the, shade that's just me yeah, actually yeah. davy can we can you and i i've been wanting to do a roast of bill gothard forever can we like <laughs> can we make this happen could you and i <laughs> just work sit together? down write a roast yeah. for bill gothard <laughs> yeah just like i think it would go viral you and me ro roasting gothard why not <laughs> i love that idea you know we're doing it's that uh fun. we're gonna be doing that live show uh in austin that i told you about at the end of july okay. Maybe maybe that's how we close it out as we just do 
a live roast of Bill Gothard <laughs> and IBLP. I would love that. We could get like a little cardboard stand up, like <laughs> <laughs> get a cutout of Bill. Yeah, yeah. that's perfect. <laughs> but yeah, he's he doesn't know how to use the computer, so he has um, uh, he has a young man that was converted on a missionary trip in mm. Mexico who kind of grew up in a kind of Gothard base. I think he might have grown up in a Gothard based uh orphanage in mexico and this oh, okay. young man is living with bill in his home last i last i heard that that he, he was living in his home and kind of doing his online stuff so it could be like bill dictated <laughs> the four bullet point tweet right yeah yeah and I, someone I, typed it for him too that's kind of what i was assuming sounds very him it does it, and i and we know he's still writing he's still very prolific uh, mm. he's still publishing books. I, I saw a post. It was basically like a happy birthday post to Bill Gothard. Uh, and apparently some of his close friends attended this birthday dinner. And, you know, as, uh, his token of, of appreciation to his, his friends, he, he gave them his newest book. Uh, oh. they all got signed copies of, of his newest book. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, the ego on this guy is crazy. It is <laughs> well, crazy. After all these years. Yeah, after all these years. Yeah, and and uh, you know the the conversations that that you had with Bill. I mean, obviously, these weren't confrontational at all. But did he ever admit any kind of wrongdoing um, over the course of the years that that he was exploiting people? I don't think he's ever admitted to any wrongdoing ever. Um, you know, I think he sees himself as the infallible prophet of God, you know, God's me God's mediator here on earth. I don't think he's capable of the kind of self-reflection to ever take accountability or responsibility. And I think that you see that in, in my opinion, across the evangelical movement and across the Christian homeschool movement, you see a lack of accountability and a lack of responsibility for the ways that I think maybe even the best intentioned people went a little bit off the rails. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's, that's one of the things that I appreciate about the relationship I have with my family uh, so much is that, uh, you know, both of my parents admitted after the fact, you, you know, we, we didn't know what was going on. Uh, you know, we never meant to get caught up in this stuff. We're so sorry uh, for what we put you and, and your siblings through. And, uh, you know, so I, I really appreciate that, that mentality that admits wrongdoing, but you're right. Um, you know, in so many of these fundamental Christian circles, uh, and certainly Bill Gothard is no exception here. You never admit that you were wrong. You gloss over it. You justify it. Uh, I think Bill Gothard at some point, you know, released a statement that, you know, he shouldn't have, uh, you know, held hands and, and, and touched these, these girls. Right. But never mm -hmm. admitted to any kind of abuse, at all mm -hmm. um and as we know when you know when the the group of women tried to uh, to sue him uh you know he threatened to countersue instead of apologizing right. or releasing any kind of statement just countersued or threatened to countersue and then tried to get the court to approve sanctions uh which they did not uh you know and and even on his social media now it's just full of misinformation and lies outright mm -hmm. lies uh about mm -hmm. the events that transpired with that lawsuit uh which is just it's crazy to me because Maybe he doesn't know that you can just go look this stuff up on the internet and see what actually happened. And mm -hmm. he's out here presenting this false narrative still. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it just blows me away. 
And I think, you know, it's, I think it's worth noting, too, with like his statement, you know, it is an admission of holding hand, holding holding hands is such a minimalization of what he did to so many girls. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we've even scratched the surface of Bill's malfeasance with women mm-hmm. or his uh, labor abuses mm-hmm. or his probably per- extreme personal abuses mm-hmm. or probably horrifying family history. I think we've only begun to scratch the surface of some of the widespread effects that he's had, that he had. But I don't think we're, I think we're going to be finding out with the release of Shiny Happy People. I think more people are going to come forward. Um, I think that it's kind of, this is just the the first wave even of what what I think is gonna be uh, a wave of as large of a wake of destruction as he left behind him. I think that's coming back around to him. And we've only kind of just started that. Oh, 100% agree. And then there's the other documentary that's going to be coming out until the truth. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that dives a lot more into some of the, you know, the graphic details of the mm-hmm. abuse. Um, you know, I had a conversation, I, I mentioned to you, I had a conversation with a, with a lady, who I, I don't want to mention her name, but you know, back in the nineties when she was 21 and Bill Gothard was, you know, in his late fifties, I think he was maybe 59. Um, you know, he, he told this, this 21 year old lady that he wanted to marry her, mm-hmm. uh, you know, so it, it goes a lot further and a lot deeper than we even saw on the shiny, happy people documentary. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you're absolutely right. There's, there's more to come. This is just the tip of the iceberg. And one of the reasons, you know, that, that we know that there's more women out there is Gothard, you know, had a pattern in which he overlapped them. So he always had a girl coming in, a current girl and a girl going out. Mm-hmm. And he used them to manipulate each other and he used them to to groom, you know, to make them more amenable using mm-hmm. he used the competition to make them more vulnerable to him and open to him. Well, if Bill Gothard from the late seven, let's just say the late 70s, let's say 1978 to 2003 had three girls overlapping at any time. That's a lot of people still out there that we haven't heard from. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because what there were, there were 30 women involved in the lawsuit, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. And I think 19 of those were 19, <laughs> 19 of those were uh, accusations against Gothard. There were also a lot of accusations against other uh, people in the law, original version of the lawsuit who were uh, against IBLP bigwigs mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. people who ran training centers that either ignored abuse or perpetuated it at those yeah. places. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, it was just rampant. It was rampant across the leadership of that cult. A hundred percent. Absolutely. And, and that's what we've discussed with, with so many other folks uh, on this podcast series is that, um, y- you know, IBLP, and really the, the fundamental Christian ideology is uh, a breeding ground for predatory and abusive behavior, period. Uh, and whether it's Gothard or, you know, some other, you know, leader, uh, they all uh, take advantage of, of this um, of this environment, I guess. Well, I think we've seen that across our culture. Honestly, I think that there seems to be a certain group of predatory people who, you know, intentionally use institutions to take advantage of people who are vulnerable, you know, institutions seek to maximize control. So they're the perfect breeding ground for abuse and the perfect breeding ground for predators who want to use 
that power to control for abuse. And I, I wonder, you know, it's not just an IBLP problem or a religious problem. It seems to be a American problem and it seems to be a worldwide problem. I think it's a human problem, right? Yeah. Uh, you, you know, it's interesting that, that you put it that way because we, you know, in episode three uh, of the, the podcast series that I'm doing, I uh, spoke with a, a young lady named Grace uh, who grew up in the cult as well. And, and we specifically talked that there's two types of people that uh, that you would see in the IBLP cult. You would see predators and you would see prey. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how I think every cult works. And, and I think you're right. I think it's just a, a human problem, right? Mm-hmm. You've got those two types of people, the, the predators and the prey. Yeah. And and in IBLP, we call them prophets and mercies. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. We actually have names for them. You know, you look, you go back and you look at it and you're like, how did we not notice how we were all being set up for this? I don't know if we just didn't have enough awareness of, of how cults work or how authoritarianism works. Or, or narcissistic abuse works. I'm not. I'm not sure. Like, if we were just missing the model, but you look back at it now, and you're like, "This is pretty." It was right there. Right. It was. Yeah. It was right under our nose the whole time. Uh, it, yeah. It was. It was almost like uh, if you were a prophet, uh, that was your hall pass to just be an evil asshole <laughs> to mm-hmm. anyone. And it was like, oh well, they're a prophet, so they're they're allowed to do that. <laughs> you know, that's that's mm-hmm. their spiritual gift. So you have to listen and not take offense um yeah it's just it's 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 crazy yeah it, it really is um now i've heard rumors of a shiny happy people season two can you talk about that at all or is that still in the works or um i can uh i the door is definitely open for more shiny happy people absolutely i mean we're the number one docuseries debut of all time on amazon Mm -hmm. um we've converted more uh prime memberships than any other documentary on amazon uh so it's definitely open if people would like to see uh shiny more shiny happy people uh, go to Amazon Prime social media and tell them because I can't, I don't get to make that decision, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think that's how people support is just telling Prime, we mm-hmm. want more. We, 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 we want, want more, right? More about what happened with IBLP. Yeah. And I know that, you know, everyone would be on board for more. So if we tell them, if we, if, if you tell them, we will come. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. And, and how, how can people, uh, follow you, learn more about your story, Brooke? Um, I am at www.trippinwithbrookearnold.com. Perfect. Uh, Trippin in both ways. <laughs> <laughs> I love uh, it. I'm, I'm also Trippin with Brooke Arnold on YouTube, TikTok, and Instagram. At, on Twitter, I'm the Brooke Arnold. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Okay. Yeah. So they can find all your links on the website. Uh, mm-hmm. or if you just want to go follow individually on any of the social media platforms, there you go. Right. Tripping with Brooke or the Brooke Arnold. Got it. Mm-hmm. Uh, perfect. Um, well, Brooke, thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, for thank being able to talk about this stuff. Uh, I know that, uh, what you said on the, on the documentary just resonated so much, uh, with people all over the world. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so, um, I really appreciate you being, being willing to share your story. Uh, it meant a lot to a lot of people. Thank you. Yeah. I I'm, I'm just so grateful to be able to be a part of this. It feels like we're, we're at a turning point 
in our culture mm-hmm. in which, you know, these kinds of things aren't going to be allowed to happen anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that's obviously what we hope for. There's, there's so much information out there now. Uh, people have access through the internet, social media, you know, whatever, uh, that you hope, you, you know, cults like this can't flourish quite as much as they did back then, you know, <laughs> right. <laughs> but, but we'll see, like, like, like we said, it really seems to be a, a human problem, uh, when mm-hmm. you get right down to it. So, um, you, you never know, but we'll be here. We'll be here to call it out. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Perfect. Well, Brooke, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Dave.